My brothers and sisters, good morning. The true blue Catholics, the one who, uh, ones who are able to come to an 8 o'clock mass after being woken up at 3 in the morning, maybe have been up since 3 in the morning. We're glad to have you here today. Thank you. In case you maybe haven't decided what it is that you're doing this Lent, in case you're looking for some way to go a little bit deeper, might I recommend to you this book called The Introduction to the Spiritual Life by Dr. Brant Petrie. I love this book. I think it's good. It's going to be up here if you want to take a picture of it after Mass, but it's simple and it's solid. There are certain and very easy to understand ways to grow closer to God as revealed here. Through this book, Dr. Petrie reminds us that in the beginning of Lent, we hear echoes of the story of the beginning of time. When Jesus went out into the desert, he was confronted with three temptations. And those three temptations, we are told by the saints, were the same temptations that conquered Adam and Eve. But where Adam failed, Jesus thrived. Let's begin by looking at where Adam failed. In Genesis, we read, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Dr. Petrie wisely describes it this way. He says, according to the Jewish scripture, there's a triple motivation for the first sin. The reason Adam and Eve disobey God is because of the pleasure of tasting the fruit was good for food, the longing to possess it once they saw it was a delight to the eyes, and the prideful desire to be wise like God, but by disobeying him, the desire to make one wise. St. John, in his epistle, calls this triple temptation to pleasure, possessions, and pride, the lust of the, uh, the, pardon me, the lust of the flesh, then the lust of the eyes, and finally the pride of life. So, okay, now we have a little way to understand it. We got a list, huh? Three things. Look back at the gospel and you can see exactly how Jesus was tempted. First, the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command that this stone become bread. Jesus first experiences a desire for pleasure, temptation to an appetite. Ugh. I'm hungry, and it would feel good to have some food. Pleasure. Second, the devil said to him, I shall give you all this power and glory, for it's been given over to me. Look at all this great stuff you could have. If only you worshipped me. A temptation to possessions. And then third, he led him to Jerusalem, stand up on the very top of the temple. You know what, Jesus? Why not jump off? Because surely you can be saved. God can be 
your protector and you can be like him. Presumption and pride. The first is a temptation to satisfy the lust of the flesh for food and drink and sex and comfort. Food, in this case. The second, a temptation to satisfy the lust of the eyes, to have all possessions. And third, a temptation to pride, presuming on God to be like God, but apart from God. Pleasure, possessions, and pride. But again, where Adam fell to these temptations, Jesus mastered them, quoting scripture and saying with a certain and definitive tone, no. And the devil departed from him, we're told, for a time. Brothers and sisters, we would be the basest hypocrites if we fail to acknowledge that these same three temptations I've been saying over and over again on purpose are also our temptations. They're our temptations as well, mine and yours. Again, Brant Petrie says, we don't even have to look to the tragedy of human history to see this play out. We need only look into our own hearts. There, we will quickly discover our own disordered cravings for pleasure, possessions, and selfish pride. Jesus did not overcome temptation so that his followers don't have to. He overcame temptation so that we can overcome it too. Thank God then that Jesus gives us in this Lenten season an antidote to these temptations. For lust for pleasure, he gives us fasting. Yeah may be popular now to act as if fasting was part of the old way of doing things and that now we're enlightened. We don't need it anymore. We found better ways. This simply is not true. If we've given up on fasting, we've contributed to our own demise. The will, your willpower, is like a muscle. And does any good athlete, huh, swimmer, football player, basketball player, track, whatever you play or played, you know that if you skip weight day, you can't perform. If you don't condition, if you skip out on leg day, then when it comes to the contest, to the game, to the match, you will not win. You need to be able to strengthen your muscle. And brothers and sisters, the will is a muscle. If we can control our craving for food, drink, sex, other good things, then we will be stronger when the moment comes that we need to control it in more difficult and sinful temptations. Basil the Great said, you will find that fasting guided all the saints in a godly way of life. Gregory the Great said, let us who have fallen away from the joys of paradise through food rise up to them again through fasting. And Francis de Sales wrote, the enemy 
has greater fear of us when he sees that we can fast. Fasting is provided to level out temptation to pleasure. To address the temptation to possessions, we're given the gift of almsgiving. That's not simply writing a check and throwing it in the basket and forgetting about it. It comes from a love for the poor and a gift of self. Uh, Last Friday, two days ago, after the Stations of the Cross in our pastorate that I led, a few families with children stuck around and explored St. Mary's Church. They were looking at the stained glass and the wood carvings. And one little girl, a first grader in our school, approached me with a cardboard rice bowl and asked, what is this? And I told her that it could be folded up and you could place money in it throughout all of Lent. And at the end of Lent, that money could be collected and it could be used to help the poor. And her little first grade eyes got so wide and she looked at me and and blurted out as she ran back to her mother, oh, I've always wanted to help the poor. And I said, good, that level of innocence and sincerity, that level of desire for serving and putting another above myself is at the root of almsgiving. As is detachment from the things I love the most. I I share this next story as a teaching tool, not for any merit or glory that I certainly don't deserve. But in seminary, my first year, we were asked at the beginning of Lent to donate some piece of clothing to a clothing drive for the poor. I've never been a very stylish man and I didn't really care that much about my clothes. There is one shirt, a red and blue plaid shirt from American Eagle. And look, I'm 32 now, but at 21, I looked good in that shirt. People were attracted to me when I wore that shirt. I felt more confident. I felt happier when I wore that shirt. And the seminary instructed us, hey, don't just give up some old pair of socks that you don't want anymore. Instead, give up the thing you love the most. Give up the thing you're most attached to. And I struggled as I took that shirt off the hanger. But I threw it in the bag and I turned away because I wanted God more than I wanted that shirt. And I grew into attachment. You, brothers and sisters, can grow in detachment this way. St. Francis de Sales encourages us, frequently give up some of your property by giving it with a generous heart to the poor. Oh, how holy and how rich is the poverty brought on by giving alms. St. John Chrysostom even suggested that demons would be unable to access a house that stores up and gives alms. Fasting and almsgiving are given to us to conquer pleasure and possessions. And finally, to conquer pride, we pray. The Catechism says humility is the foundation of prayer. Only when we humbly acknowledge that we do not know how to pray as we ought are we ready to receive freely the gift of prayer. Man is a beggar before God. 
When I counsel people in my office about prayer, I give them permission to pray badly, to pray awkwardly. You say, oh, Father, I don't know how to pray. Fine. Any prayer, even prayer that fumbles, is better than no prayer. Without prayer, even fasting and almsgiving fall flat. But with prayer, all things are possible. And if you pray honestly every day, you will see yourself in the light of God's truth, humble but hopeful. Brothers and sisters, the first man and wife fell to these three temptations, pleasure, possessions, and pride. Christ defeated these temptations in the desert in order to give us a sure way to victory with him. As we join him in the desert, Let's gird ourselves with fasting to detach from pleasure, almsgiving to detach from possessions, and prayer to detach from pride. United to God in the desert, may we be united with him in heaven. Amen.